humans, hello humans, hello humans, humans of Minnesota, of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and of the world. This is me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Hello, how are you? How are you? How are you? I am just thrilled to be back talking with you on this Monday morning. Um, and welcome to LA 2.0 Radio for those who are new to this show, which I hope there are more, <laughs> more of you. Um, this is a show about idealism and idealists, um, where we tackle people, we tackle changing the world and where I highlight humans who are willing to do that and who have done that work in the past or, or doing that in the present day. I, I am an idealist. Actually, in the bio, it's a, it's, it's a titled Hopeless Idealist because I am. Um, and so for today's show, uh, we've, uh, it is interestingly heavy on the state of Mississippi. <laughs> um, I know, I know, I'm sitting in a radio booth here in the Twin Cities, but we're going to be going to Mississippi in a couple of different ways, both historically and in present day. Um, uh, we've got an historical idealist, Fanny Lou Hamer, that I'm going to speak about, about work that she did in the 1960s. Um, and then I'm going to also do the big interview um, with a representative, uh, Benjamin Salisbury, from the Emmett Till Interpretive Center in Mississippi. Uh, and that it is um, – it is about uh, the death of Emmett Till. Um, if you don't know who Emmett Till is, uh, pull out your phones and do a very quick Wikipedia search. Um, frankly, Emmett Till's name is the name that everyone, everyone concerned about civil rights should know, uh, Emmett Till's name. But uh, let's get to it about with our historical idealist, uh, Fanny Lou Hamer. Um, and part of what I'm going to relate to you is from Wikipedia, my wonderful place of Wikipedia. Um, and uh, part of it is also from an October 4th, 2019 Time Magazine piece by Keisha Bluen. Uh, that piece is titled, quote, God is not going to put it on your lap. Uh, what makes Fannie Lay uh, Hamer's message on civil rights so radical and so enduring, unquote. It's a long title. Once again um, – as I've done in the part and done in the past, I'm bringing you an idealist that many of you may not have heard of. Fanny Lou Hamer uh, certainly was not a name that I was familiar with before I started to do the research for this piece on the show, um, and I came across her name just simply by happenstance on my newsfeed. I am, I am a news junkie for sure. Uh, Fanny Lou Hamer was born in Montgomery County, Mississippi, in 1917. Believe this or not, she was the last of 20 children. Her family farmed, and actually her uh, father and mother were um, fairly successful farmers in the early part of uh, Fanny's life, um, so much so that when Fanny was a child, um, there was an occasion where much of the livestock uh, on the farm was poisoned. And it was suspected that a local white supremacist had done that poisoning. And Fanny, Fanny later said, quote, that white man did it just because we are getting somewhere. White people never like to see Negroes get a little success. All of this stuff is no secret in the state of Mississippi, unquote. Fanny's fa family later um, moved. I, I suspect they lost the farm and they became sharecroppers on a plantation in another part of Mississippi. 
Uh, Fanny was able to get an education only until she was 12 when she had to quit school to start working to support her parents and the rest of her family. Uh, However, she continued to read at church, and she became great at applying Bible passages to the struggle of African Americans for equality, their struggle for equality. At age 25, Fanny married. Uh, She and her husband later adopted two girls, but one of those girls died of internal hemorrhaging after the local hospital refused to admit the child because Fanny had by then become an advocate for voter equality. Can you imagine that? We're not going to take your child. Sorry. Sorry, we don't, we, don't take, we don't take your kind or we're not going to take your kind because of what you're doing in the community, you know, uh, rucking up everything. In 1962, Fanny began a series of attempts to register to vote. Um, so you need to, need to know that um, in 1963, only 5% of the 450,000 African Americans in Mississippi were registered to vote. Only 5% of 450,000. And Fanny began a series of attempts to register. Um, now, remember uh, your history books? And I hate <laughs> – I mean – This is real. I mean, yes, I know we're talking more than 50 years ago, but this is recent history for many of you who are listening to my voice right now. And so remember, Jim Crow laws, they suppressed the vote of African-Americans. So Fannie had to take the state's literacy test where it tested you on things that you could read about and other things that you're supposed to, you know, that they wanted to catch you that you wouldn't know. She had to take the test three times before she passed the state's literacy test. And then when she finally passed the test, she was still denied the right to vote because she hadn't paid the poll tax. Eventually, she did all of that. Um, uh, and, uh, and then she became an organizer. I'll get to that in a second. But in 1963, as she was going through this arduous process of getting registered herself, uh, she was also trying to get uh, the vote out um, for other people. And when her boss found out that Fanny was attempting to register herself as well as other people, he fired her. Um, she had worked at that job for 18 years. This was a white plantation owner who fired Fanny uh, because she was attempting just simply to vote and help others to vote. Um, Shortly after that, I mean, Fanny had to leave the plantation, but the plantation owner wouldn't let her husband leave. He made him continue with his um, his obligations, contractual, quote-unquote, contractual obligation for the rest of the season. And while Fanny was staying with friends, um, some white supremacists came by and shot up the house where Fanny was staying. Um, there were 16 bullet holes um, in that house afterwards. And what Fanny later said about that, she said, quote, if I had any sense, I'd have been a little scared. But what was the point of being scared? The only thing they could do was kill me. And it kind of seemed like they'd been trying to do that a little bit at a time since I could remember. Unquote. This is a woman, not even with a high school education, who is darn eloquent and darn to the point. Um, 
as she worked to help people get registered in 1963, she started volunteering with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, also known as SNCC, SNCC, to register voters and to get signatures to petitions to Congress um, asking for federal resources to help black colored families. Um, this had Fanny traveling across Mississippi in 1963. At one stop in Winona, Mississippi, where she was on a bus with a number of other organizers, they tried to eat at a local cafe. They were refused service. Um, when they objected, the police were called, and Fanny and others were arrested. At the jail, the group, including Fanny, were beaten horribly. Fanny, so much so that Fanny needed a month to recover from that beating, and it left her with permanent damage to her kidney. Are you getting the sense that this woman, this woman was walking the walk. And yet, even after the beating, Fanny persisted. She helped co-found the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party uh, to prevent um, the regional all-white Democrat Party from representing the state at the National Convention, the Democrat National Convention for the 1964 presidential election that was in Atlantic City. She went to Atlantic City with her colleagues and demanded demanded that the uh, Freedom Democratic Party, that would be the party that was consisting of African Americans, that it be seated at the convention and that it be deemed um, a representative of the state of Mississippi, but Democratic officials refused, but not before Fannie testified before the committee and her testimony was broadcast across the United States. And at that point, she started to attract attention. However, she persisted. By 1968, uh, the Freedom Democratic Party was seated as representatives of the state of Mississippi. It was at that point an equality uh, plank in the Democratic Party. And so Mississippi had both white color and black color people at that convention. After some failed political bids, Fannie uh, went back to her roots. Um, she tried to run for the Senate, uh, the uh, federal Senate, the United States Senate, and then tried to run for the state Senate as well, but she did not She did not get elected. But she then went back to her roots, working for greater equality in farming, and helped far, found the Freedom Farm Cooperative in 1964 in an attempt to redistribute economic power to farmers. Um, and there's a wonderful article in the Atlantic magazine that would be in the um, September issue of the Atlantic magazine titled The Great Land Robbery, um, the shameful story of how, of how one million black families have been ripped from their farms. Highly recommend that piece. And Fanny, um, Fanny Lou Hamer uh, was a predecessor to uh, resisting and fighting back against the white establishment that started taking the land from farmers. In 1971, Fannie Lou Hamer co-founded the National Women's Political Caucus, which exists today, which not only exists today, but which is very, very um, prominent. Fannie died in 1977 at the age of 59 of complications of, of hypertension and breast cancer. She's buried in her hometown of Ruville, Mississippi. Her tombstone is engraved with one of her famous quotes, quote, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. Fannie Lou Hamer, idealist, American, read about her, learn, and do as she did, which is to act. LE 2.0 Radio, when we come back, we'll do the big interview. Thank you. Hey, 
everyone. Ellie Krug here from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. This month, I'm sharing about opportunities to hear me in person. I'm having an open house on Thursday, October 17th in Minneapolis. Come hear about my work and about my nonprofit, Human Ripple Works, Inc. You need to register. There's no charge, but I need a headcount. To register, go to elliekrug.com and see the upcoming engagements page. Scroll down, click on the link for October 17th to register. That's me, Ellie the Idealist, trying to make the world better. Hope to see you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body wax, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. At Better Futures Minnesota, we believe everyone deserves a fair shot. We believe in personal redemption and second chances, and that those who are dedicated to change and hard work should have the opportunity to achieve success and make a positive impact in the community. The men we embrace and serve have made mistakes, but they aren't bad people. We work with men who take responsibility for their past and are committed to doing better, who work to create a better life for themselves, their family, and the community. Learn more at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Um, remember I said at the beginning of the show that this was um, a show heavy on Mississippi. And Fannie Lou Hamer, again, if you have never heard of her, please go to Wikipedia. It's a wonderful Wikipedia page, long, uh, several pages worth of learning about Fannie Lou Hamer. And now on the line I have um, another Mississippian to talk about another thing um, historical, unfortunate, horrible acts, incident in Mississippi. Um, but I have on the line uh, Benjamin Salisbury from the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. Benjamin, are you there on the line? I am on the line. Hi, Benjamin. Thank you so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Um, I'm just thrilled that I have you, and I'm thrilled that we can talk, you can talk about the Emmett Till Interpretive uh, Center. Um, can you first uh, tell us um, a little bit about Emmett Till? Because I'm assuming that some listeners up here, unfortunately, um, do not know who Emmett Till was and what his death represents. So yeah, I'll, I'll do my best uh, in that regard. So, so Emmett Till was uh, a youth at the age of 14 years old from the, uh, I want to say the Argo, Illinois area, which like a suburb of Chicago, Illinois. Yep. Uh, and, and his mother, uh, the late Mamie Till, uh, was actually born in Webb, Mississippi, which is uh, approximately two miles from Sumner, where the Interpretive Center is today. Uh, so when he uh, was 14 years old, uh, he actually uh, asked his mother to allow him to visit family members uh, back home in Delta, Mississippi, uh, you know, before school started back in Chicago. So this was... Uh, in, I want to say, August of 55. And so uh, she reluctantly, uh, you know, decided, allowed him to come uh, visit family members in Mississippi. So this is the nor I'm interrupting you, but this is the kind of thing that any kid would want to do. Go visit their grandparents, go go visit relatives, just 
anything that any kid would want to do, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Go ahead. Uh, and so he was, a, he was accompanied by uh, uh, one of his cousins by the name of Willa Parker. And so, who was also, he was a peer and a teenager himself. Uh, and so the two, these two young men, uh, came to Mississippi, uh, in August of 55, the latter part of August. I wanna, well, maybe mid-August to the latter part, early latter part of August of 55. Um, and, uh, while visiting family members in Mississippi, uh, he was staying with his great uncle Mose Wright, uh, in Money, Mississippi, which is like a very small town. Uh, maybe 10 miles or so outside of Greenwood, Mississippi, in LaFleur County. Um, not very long after uh, he arrived in in, uh, in Mississippi, literally a week or so, if that long, uh, he, along with Simeon Wright, the late Simeon Wright and Willa Parker, uh, uh, convened at uh, Bryant's Grocery and Meat Market, which is basically like a small store uh, in Money, Mississippi, that you know served cold cuts and drinks and things of that nature. Uh, and this is where the uh, one of the earliest parts of this tragedy uh, took place, or at least one of the most memorable parts and, and, and most talked about parts. Uh, it's in this store that it's believed that Emmett uh, and and Miss Carolyn Bryant or Mrs. Carolyn Bryant uh, had an exchange of some sort. Uh, during the times of for which this incident took place, it was reported uh, that, that he made um, – Lou gestures and sexually charged comments to her, but there was no one in the store at the time but Emmett and Carolyn. Uh, their exchange was anywhere between a minute to maybe a minute and a half uh, uh, with just the two of them in the store. So something walked, something disrespect, uh, allegedly disrespectful. Exactly. exactly. Yep. Okay, go ahead. And, and so after that minute and a half, uh, Willa Parker went in, from what I understand, Willa Parker went in to make sure Emmett was, was okay, and they came out of the store. Uh and after they left out of the store, not very long after, Carolyn Bryant uh, went outside of the store. And that's and, and as she exited the store, that's where the you know the wolf whistle took place. Uh, and so in '55, needless to say, especially in Mississippi, but arguably in a lot of places in the country, uh, it, you know, it was an absolute social taboo for to even all you know to even have a conversation with a white person, right? To, for a black male of any age, you know, to, to converse with a white woman or a white person uh, outside of it being in a subservient, uh, borderline demeaning uh, framework. And so him whistling or allegedly whistling at her, again, broke all social norms and taboos. Uh, so days later, uh, quite literally around 2.30 in the morning, that Sunday morning or late Saturday night, uh, Moses Moses Wright's home was visited by uh, J.W. Milam and Roy Bryant, and they literally took Emmett out of the home of his of his great uncle, uh, and he was never seen alive again. So after the abduction of Emmett, a few days passed by, or a few days went by, and, and his body was recovered in the Tallahatchie River. Uh, so his body was recovered. I want to say August twenty eighth of nineteen fifty five. Um, and from night from August twenty eighth, nineteen fifty five, uh, proceeded uh, an invest a quote unquote investigation and a trial. Uh, and this trial took place in the latter part of September of fifty five. Um, and so, from the beginning of the trial to the end, a time lapse of approximately five days uh, came uh, and, and, and passed. And there was a not guilty verdict uh, rendered on, on behalf of J W Milam and Roy Bryant. So, so but they were two men, they're two white colored men. 
And the jury was all white-colored as well. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's correct. Okay. So, now, so in some ways, that's where, to some, in a way, this is where this story ends, right? But the fact of the matter is, this tragedy, in a lot of ways, became a catalyst for the recognized uh, civil rights movement. Uh, so, so you know, months after uh, the acquittal was, was rendered, J.W. Minham and Roy Bryant shared or, or or rather sold their story or were paid uh, to give their side of the story uh, to Look Magazine. Uh, and they were paid somewhere within the neighborhood of 3000 to $3,500, which in today's market would uh, would, sure. would be valued at right around 28000 U.S. dollars. Uh, now, at the same time, this is going on January. Well, they, can I can I interrupt you, Benjamin? They sold their story and they admitted that essentially they had killed Emmett, right? That's correct. That's correct. So, uh, and now, the, oh, go ahead. Well, the other thing I was going to ask that the other thing that makes Emmett's death so significant was that his mother his mother refused to have him embalmed and 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 wanted his badly bruised and beaten body put on display at the funeral. I mean, it was an open casket at the funeral in Chicago, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. And and her decision to have an open casket funeral, and her decision to have, you know, to, to actually, you know, examine the body herself and then have an open casket funeral, uh, I think it, 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 it did a few different things as it relates pertains to, uh, I, I think the way people see and, and try to understand race and racism. Uh, for one, uh, prior to that, and that's not to say that other incidents uh, against young black males or young black people hadn't happened because we know it has. Of course, but this was one of the first times where uh, where a large uh, a large amount of people were forced to actually see, uh, you know, just how vitriol racism is and can be uh so you know the the you know the, the brutalization that was uh, expressed on his body uh in, in a lot of ways forced america and forced western society and, and even and even the globe uh, to, to a degree to really kind of wonder and question themselves uh, in such a way that why would we as, as a species allow uh for this kind of uh, punishment or for this kind of way of thinking uh to to not be checked and not be uh, address, and so I think I think without a doubt. De- well, and this is of course a personal opinion, but I think her choosing to have the open casket funeral uh, was again the, one of the major catalysts to to you know to the civil rights movement or to the modern yep. uh, civil rights movement. Well, in fact, um, in fact, one of the one of your supporters of the Emmett Till Interpretive Center called it the ground zero of the civil rights movement. Emmett Till's death and where his body was recovered. Um, Benjamin, when we get back, we're going to have to take a break here. But when we get back, I want to hear more about the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. Thank you for laying that wonderful foundation for us about such a, an unfortunate, horrible incident and tragedy in part of American history. But when we come back, I want to hear about the work that the Emmett Till Interpretive Center is doing. And it, we want to talk about uh, the sign. Okay, I'll leave that as a tickler for the for the listeners. Uh, um, listeners, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. I've been speaking with Benjamin Salisbury from the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. When we come back, we'll talk more with Benjamin. Thank you.
Better Futures Minnesota is a social enterprise which helps men achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. We need your help. By donating time or funds to our cause, you can support us and promote a healthier environment. By hiring our deconstruction crews for your next residential or commercial project and shopping or donating building materials or appliances to our reuse retail warehouse, you are supporting Better Futures Minnesota and your community. Please visit BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn more. Hey everyone, Ellie Krug here from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. This month, I'm sharing about opportunities to hear me in person. I'm having an open house on Thursday, October 17th in Minneapolis. Come hear about my work and about my nonprofit, Human Ripple Works, Inc. You need to register. There's no charge, but I need a headcount. To register, go to elliekrug.com and see the upcoming engagements page. Scroll down, click on the link for October 17th to register. That's me, Ellie the Idealist, trying to make the world better. Hope to see you. Branding electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. We've been, before we took the break, we were speaking with, and we will continue to speak with, Benjamin Salisbury from the Emmett Till Interpretive Center um, about, uh, about the death of Emmett Till, what uh, his death represents, um, even up to today, um, even though um, he was murdered in 1955, uh, his death and the meaning of his death resonates today. So, Benjamin, tell us, what is the Emmett Till Interpretive Center? It's located in uh, Sumner, Mississippi, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So, so our actual address is, is 100, I mean, it's 120 North Court Street in Sumner, Mississippi. Okay. And uh, before we go, what's the website if people want to check out the Emmett Till Interpretive Center? Sure. So, so our website is emmett-till.org. Uh, again, that is emmett-till.org. Okay, and what does the Interpretive Center do? Great question. So what we aspire towards is the cultivation of, of racial harmony in Tallahatchie County and in all of the, you know, in the towns uh, that make it up. And so how do we do that, right? That, that's, uh, we, we try to do that by, by, for one, engaging youth in this narrative, uh, but then also finding ways to use uh, the arts uh, through uh, to, to share this story and, and to create new stories and new narratives, right? So, so we believe uh, one of the one of our one of the sentences that that, that or one of the principles rather we try to operate from is the fact that uh, that we believe that racial reconciliation begins with telling the truth. And sometimes when you're working towards telling the truth, you, you have to do some objective investigation. And in the midst of that investigation, in the midst of, of learning uh, about where we come from, uh, we find some harsh realities and some harsh, yep. hard truths. Uh, but we also understand the importance of being able to accept those truths uh, and build a foundation 
uh, that again gives way for people to come together uh, and and work together, right? Uh, and so it's a lot easier said than done. I mean, we're still, right. for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, uh, trying to figure out what does racial reconciliation look like in Tallahassee County and in Summer. Uh, but, but we're committed to uh, to using the arts and and, and using uh, a, a myriad of of of, of mediums uh, to not just share and tell stories, but to come together and work together to make a the best version of ourselves uh, more apparent with each other and others. I love uh, how you said all of that, Benjamin. Particularly the best versions of ourselves. Now you got on my radar. Um, the center got on my radar because there was. Um, a, a national public radio piece that came out in August about yeah. the sign um, at uh, Graybill Landing on the Tallahatchie River. This is where Emmett Emmett's body was recovered from the river. Is that right? That's correct. After uh, the, after he was beaten to death, they put him in the river, and they recovered his body. And and then what the the Emmett Till Interpretive Center did is that you erected a sign. You wanted to commemorate. Um, the location of Emmett's, de- uh, of where his body was recovered. Do I have that right? Yes. So, so the markers. I mean, that was one of several markers placed uh, within the within Tallahatchie County uh, as it relates and pertains to uh, you know Emmett and Emmett's visit uh, in Mississippi. Uh, so, so that site in particular, being the river site. Uh, that marker is placed in an approximation of where his body was recovered. Uh, so, 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 yeah, that marker again is one of, of several markers throughout the county that, that commemorate and, and and in some ways uh, continues to bring uh, or uplift uh, his name and his memory. Uh, but then it's also like a call for for a responsibility for the citizens of Tallahassee County and, and other I mean other places to you know just remember where we come from, but also continue to do the work today to you know to again. Right. Be the best version of ourselves. But the sign, unfortunately, has been the the subject of great vandalism. So, you, um, I mean, by the time that I read about the National Public Radio piece, it, you were on your third sign because the signs had been shot up. Um, there, there had been uh, there had been a KKK painted on the signs um, on predecessor signs, and the National Public Radio piece was about was. Uh, about a picture of three young men from the University of Mississippi, each holding guns, um, sitting uh, adjacent to the sign. Um, it was nighttime, so somebody had a had a light on them as well as on the sign itself. The sign had a bunch of bullet holes in it. And I know that you and I talked previously. You, you're not in a position where you can say that they actually shot the sign. Um, but nonetheless, it was the fact that you had three white-colored men holding guns. One was an AR-15. The sign shot up. And this has caused, um, you know, obviously uh, this treads upon the memory of Emmett Till and all the work that your center does. Do I have all of that right, what I just said? Um, I mean, more so than not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and again, it's a right to say to the three young men uh, who were, uh, you know, who were in the, the, the photo that, you know, that was posted some months ago. Uh, yeah, we're we're not at a in a position to to say uh, without a shadow of a doubt that they in fact shot the sign. Uh, and having said that, that doesn't take away uh, from you know just how jarring an image it is. Uh, but that also again speaks to the importance of the work, right? Like like in spite of the fact that uh, that an image like that speaks 
and kind of echo some of the concerns and, dare I even say, fears people have as it relates pertains to race and racism. Uh, and again, also, it's still a call for us uh, to, to right. do our best to create environments and spaces in Tyrex County and otherwise to, to give way for what I'm going to coin a communal understanding. It's one thing to, uh, you know, to, to, to be provoked and to be fearful or even angry, but what are we going to do with this energy, right? Like, what are we going to do in the midst of the things we have to face? And I think the answer is uh, we have to do our absolute best uh, to, to provide and create spaces that give way for us to, 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 to be willing, if nothing else, uh, to, to come to a place of understanding and then choose to take steps that actually speak uh, to, you know, to us working for uh, a much better present than the one we're facing. So, Benjamin, there's a, um, if, if viewers want to, uh, listener, excuse me, listeners want to go to the Emmett Till um, uh, website, they're going to see that there's a video there um, by one of the supporters, I believe, of the center, if not a board member, who calls the site where Emmett's body was recovered the Ground Zero Ground zero for the civil rights movement, and it was this location. This it was Emmett's death, and and particularly about the open coffin in Chicago that that galvanized white colored America. I mean, there were Americans who had no idea about how bad it was in the South. That finally they started to have their attention. So I would highly recommend that listeners go to the website and look at that video, and. Um, and there's also now a fundraising effort for a fourth sign, right? And that would be a bulletproof sign. Do I have that right, Benjamin? So, so the the short term goal is uh, for the replacement uh, of the markers, but our long term goal uh, is is to be able to cultivate that space, right? Uh, and we're little by little we're reaching that goal. Uh, our hope is to again is to uh, be able to clear some of that space and 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 create other structures. Uh, not just signs, but again, but but other structures and figures, uh, and 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 make a space where people can convene and meet there peacefully. Uh, and we hope that that acts as a deterrent from vandalism. But also, uh, again, we believe that that speaks uh, to the work that we, you know, that, that we're, right. you know, that we're trying to actually live out as it relates pertains uh, to calling people together to to work and and learn and grow together. Uh, so 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 yeah, short term is the replacement. Of the marker, uh, which and, and there will be a, a rededication ceremony on the nineteenth of this month uh, for the new marker. But our long-term goal is to cultivate that space and others uh, as a place of meeting and, and, and healing. Well, and and there is a fundraising I, I saw on the website. So you've raised about sixteen thousand dollars um, from two two hundred donors. And if people want to give, and there's people are still giving towards the sign, they can do that by going to the website. Is that right? So that's correct. People have the option of going to our website, uh, which is, again, emmett-till.org, uh, and making a donation online. Or if you feel more comfortable uh, with a check uh, or, or any other uh, uh, form of, of pay, you can uh, just simply mail us uh, at uh, Emmett Till Interpreter Center, uh, P.O. Box 215, Sumner, Mississippi, 38957. Uh, so, so, yeah, you can... Go online and make a donation, uh, or you can just simply mail us a donation, be it check or or cash, with a designation uh, for the you know for the markers and, and the cultivation of that space. And so, and so, Benjamin, we have just um, about a minute and a half here left, but I just wanted to ask about you. You are 
um, you, you're you're doing this work part time for the center. You're also um, a singer and um, a composer. And what what drives you to be an idealist? Because you are, and we've talked about that in our pre-interview phone conversation. What drives you to do this work, Benjamin? Well, you know that's a really great question, Ellie. Um, I don't know. I, I I just feel like, and I believe this to my with with my whole heart that that whatever space you find yourself in, uh, whatever location you find yourself in, it's important to do your best to contribute what I'm going to deem uh, salt and light, right? So regardless of one's vocation, regardless of one's profession, I think all of us have the responsibility, myself especially, uh, to do my best to make that place the best it can be uh, for however long I'm there. And so one of the ways that I can contribute is by, you know, sharing in this story and his narratives, uh, growing with uh, peers and, and, and elders in, this, in, in my hometown and my community, uh, and then to also contribute through music, because that's one of my most authentic uh, forms of expression. So we, you know, the prior part of this show was about Fannie, Lay, Fannie Lou Hamer, who, you know, talked about the power of prayer, but that you actually have to act, you have to be active to do that. And you and I uh, talked, um, uh, uh, Fannie, Lay, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, excuse me, is buried in Ruleville, where she grew up. And Ruleville is only about, what, 25 miles from Sumner, Mississippi. Do I have that right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's approximately 25, 24, 25 miles from Sumner. So you are in the place where so much was going on and happening in America to try and change the landscape, try and change the conversation, try and change the way that we humans deal with each other based on skin color and socioeconomic class. I just... Benjamin, I just want to tell you, I really respect the work that you are doing. Um, I really respect the work of the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. If there's anything that I can do up here, way up here in Minneapolis, let me know to help your work, okay? Will do. I mean, you've done, you've done you know, more than I can convey in words, uh, even with this interview and just reaching out. So, so I look forward to con- for, for our center uh, and our community to continue uh, conversing and working together uh, as we do our best to just uplift the species and, and just, you know, love our neighbors ourselves and be our brother's keeper, no matter where that neighbor is from and no matter the complexion of the brother. Well, thank you, Benjamin Salisbury. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. I've been speaking with Emmett, excuse me, Benjamin Salisbury from the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. Uh, listeners, go to the website for the, uh, the Interpretive Center. Learn more about Emmett Till or learn about what the center does. Thank you so very much, ben- Benjamin, for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Thanks for having us. All right, listeners, we'll be back um, for my C Block in a second. Thank you. At Better Futures Minnesota, we transform the lives of men and support Minnesota's environment by working towards zero waste. Our approach reaffirms each man's dignity and supports self-sufficiency. Better Futures Minnesota is a work training model. Through our reuse, retail warehouse, and supervised work crews with specialized in residential and commercial building deconstruction, property maintenance, appliance recycling, and janitorial services, we demonstrate ways to employ hire-to-employ men on a pathway to independence. Hire our work crews at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each 
each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hey everyone, Ellie Krug here from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. This month, I'm sharing about opportunities to hear me in person. I'm having an open house on Thursday, October 17th in Minneapolis. Come hear about my work and about my nonprofit, Human Ripple Works, Inc. You need to register. There's no charge, but I need a headcount. To register, go to elliekrug.com and see the upcoming engagements page. Scroll down, click on the link for October 17th to register. That's me, Ellie the Idealist, trying to make the world better. Hope to see you. And we're back on AM 950 Ellie, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Um, Benjamin Salisbury from the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. Please, please uh, go to the website for the center. Learn more about it. If you're so inclined, contribute to the center generally or towards uh, the cost of the bulletproof sign. I cannot believe that I have to say contribute to the cost of a bulletproof sign. Um, it just – there's so much work to do, everyone. There is. All right. We're in my C block here uh, where I talk about my work and we don't have a whole lot of time because we've gone over in a, other ways on this show. But So first, um, I want to let you know I'm on Instagram. Finally, ha, I'm into, finally into uh, you know the 21st century. So if you have an Instagram account and you want to follow me, the handle is at Ellie J. Krug. You got to throw the J in there. At Ellie J. Krug on Instagram. Please follow me. Secondly, there's uh, my open house is going to be later this week on Thursday on the 17th. Um, I would love to have you come where I can talk about my work. I'll talk a little bit about my nonprofit um, that helps fund uh, ongoing work out in greater Minnesota. If you want to uh, come to my open house, there's no charge, but you have to have a ticket because I've got to know how many people are coming. Uh, all you have to do is Google Eventbrite, um, Eventbrite, B-R-I-T-E, Eventbrite, uh, Ellie's Friends slash open house and it'll come up okay probably if you just google eventbrite ellie's friends something will come up you'll get a free ticket um so far it looks like we're going to have about 40 to 50 people signed up maybe we'll hopefully have more than that and so now i want to talk about um something that happened to me so oh 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 i need to tell you also last night because this is being taped i was at grace lutheran church up in andover uh to do a a training gray area thinking we had about 60 people in attendance. Oh my goodness. On a Sunday evening that went till eight fifteen, we had people engaged. They, they just, they just loved the training. And, um, and so it went well. And that gets me to the fact that what I'm trying to do is do my work more and more in greater Minnesota outside of the core of the twin cities, um, as well as the greater Midwest, because, there aren't many of me, Ellie Kruger, visible transgender woman running around, but I am not here to talk um, in some way to make you forced to accept me and all of that stuff. Instead, I want to talk about being human 
and about how we can be better to each other as humans. That's what this whole show is about, is trying to change the landscape about how we deal with each other and how we treat with, treat each other. So, in the, you know, this year I made a, a commitment at the beginning of this year that I was going to work in greater Minnesota. And so far, I've been able to speak in Virginia and in Mankato and Beloit, Wisconsin, <clears throat> not Virginia or not Minnesota, but the greater Midwest. And soon I'll be in Hastings and Red Wing. Um, please, if you are in greater Minnesota and you would like me to come, please reach out to me at lejkrug at gmail.com. Email me and we'll see what we can work out. Last week, I spoke at a major healthcare provider in St. Cloud. It was a transgender 101 talk that I gave about – that was about what does it mean to be transgender and how to be welcoming because these are healthcare professionals treating trans – people who are gay or lesbian or transgender or gender non-conforming, uh, non-binary. Um, those are folks that don't identify either as male or female, just identify as human. Had a, over 100 people in the audience. These are people who are doing that kind of treatment work. It's important that they hear <clears throat> what it means to be me so that they can better treat folks. Um, we had a we did a poll at the beginning and then at the end um, where I um, – start before I started the training, I asked people, how many of you believe – do you believe that being transgender is a, is a choice or not? Because that's the big hurdle that my community faces. And beforehand, um, we had 22 people who said they didn't know whether it was a choice or not, 18 who said that they thought it was. That was scary. And 22 that said, no, they didn't think that being transgender is a choice. By the time we got done with the training – Remember, unscientific poll, but by the time we got done with the training, it had gone from 22 people unknown to no one were unknown on that question, that only two were saying yes, being transgender was a choice, and all the rest were saying no, that being transgender wasn't a choice. So I considered that to be successful, but as I did, was wrapping up the training, so we're at you know a 90-minute training, at, when we were at minute 84. 85, 86 of the training, a woman asked me a question. Well, actually, it was a statement to the effect that God doesn't make um, any mistakes. And so the implication was, Ellie, um, you're really not a woman. You're really a man. She did not come out and say that. I want to be fair. But that was the implication of the statement. And I've got to tell you, I was caught by surprise. I didn't expect it. I've gotten that question before, that statement before. I wasn't ready for it. But the next day, somebody in the audience on my Instagram account um, posted a statement and said something that just kind of blew me away. I'm going to read a little part of it. She said, um, the person on the Instagram account said, quote, I completely agreed with her comment that God doesn't make mistakes, but not in the way she was alluding to. I believe that God... Uh, or whatever higher being you believe in, knew exactly what they were doing when they created this human, referring to me, Ellie, being recreated, recreated this human, that it was no mistake. There is a reason she was made the way she was, and she was put on this earth for a specific reason. All of the struggles, experiences that she has been through have made her into the person she is today, and I can only imagine how many lives she has saved by choosing to become an advocate and share these experiences to let those who are struggling with their gender identities know that they are not alone, period, unquote. The words blew me away. I need to close the show out. All right, I need to thank uh, my sponsors, Brending Electrolysis and Better Futures Minnesota. I need to thank my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are the best. 
And I need to thank you, my listeners, because I just ran through the C block and I really didn't really even get a chance to talk about what that commentary was from that woman who wrote those incredible words, who frankly got me. She got me because I am just trying to make a difference in the world as an idealist. Come back next week, will you please? And in the meantime, go and be good to other humans. Change the world. Thank you.